Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And welcome back to this emergency edition of the Prospect Podcast. And I'm back with our guests from Tuesday, only 48 hours ago. I was sitting here with Peter Kellner, the veteran political journalist and pollster, and Naomi Smith, Chief Executive of the campaigning organisation Best for Britain. And we were wondering what would happen to Liz Trust. Well, now we know. After 48 hours of drama, intrigue, punch-ups, resignations, sackings, withdrawn resignations... The Prime Minister appeared on the steps of Downing Street as we speak about two and a half hours ago and announced that she would be going. Whew! Naomi, you look exhausted. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's been quite the week. We used to say that a week was a long time in politics. It seems like an hour can be a long time in politics these days and so much has happened. Not least, of course, podcasts that we record being seriously out of date within a matter of hours. So thank you for having us back. Peter, I mean, you were semi-expecting this. What, what, what do you think was the final trigger that pushed her over the edge? It's a very good question, Alan, because I thought, and I wasn't alone, in thinking that Liz Truss would remain until the people in the Tory party, the 1922 committee, whoever, had worked out what was going to happen afterwards and who, who would be the, have the new Tory crown. It would be a fairly simple and smooth process. And this is not what has happened. It seems there's a, a number of MPs, including Boris Johnson, are thinking of standing. At the moment, it seems pretty chaotic. So I suppose the question that we will perhaps find out in due course is what actually happened this morning at that meeting between Liz Truss and Sir Graham Brady, the head of the 1922 committee. Did Truss say... Look, Graham, you can't talk me into staying. I'm off. Can't put up with it anymore. Or did you say to um, Graham Brady, actually, I'd like to stay, but how's the mood in the party? Did Graham Brady then say, actually, Prime Minister, there are so many Tory MPs who've now put in letters that your position is completely untenable. So if it was Liz Truss in the end chucking in the towel, I would be surprised, but it does at least explain the degree of chaos we've had since our announcement. If it was Graham Brady initiating it, then it must have been a tsunami of letters for him to go ahead and say this to her without a plan for who succeeds her. 
Peter, surely what changed was the melodrama of what happened over the fracking vote the night before Graham Brady goes in to see Liz Truss earlier this morning. So we had this incredible day of the Home Secretary's sacking and the, the letters between Truss and Braverman over it that were really quite extraordinary, followed by then this vote and, and U-turns upon U-turns about whether it was or wasn't a confidence vote. Clearly, the mood of the party had not been assessed by the whips. You then have this extraordinary allegation of Conservative MPs being strong-armed through the lobby, photographs being taken, an investigation now by the Speaker as to whether or not there was any bullying or assault of MPs being whipped into vote the right way. And uh, during all of this, uh, rumours that the, the chief whip had resigned, the deputy chief whip had resigned, that the prime minister had missed the vote herself because she'd had to run after Wendy Morton, the chief whip, to try and stop her from resigning. So I think you're right. The 1922 committee's preferred option would have been to have had it all stitched up before having to wield the knife. But I think the scenes of last night and then every single front page, but particularly, of course, Daily Mail, <clears throat> Telegraph and The Sun all being so savage, it couldn't continue and she had to just be told to go. Okay, I agree, actually, in the last 24 hours, I think have made what happened today inevitable. Well, I'm saying it's a narrow point, but I think nevertheless an interesting one as to whether the, the way the events of the last 24 hours led to her resignation. Was it simply through trust herself realising the game was up or was it Brady telling her the game was up. The outcome is the same, but I'm just not clear as to the route by which that decision was reached. I mean, as of noon yesterday, or no, not noon, half past 12, I mean, Trust didn't have a completely terrible Prime Minister's questions. I mean, I know that's a, a low bar, but, but she, <laughs> she clearly was in, in the mood to carry on. And but then came the, the shock announcement about Suella Bravman and, and Peter, I guess we don't yet know the truth of that, whether whether that was a sacking or a resignation. It, it seemed like a, a pretty thin excuse to, to have a sacking. But uh, this fits the thesis that really it was the events of yesterday afternoon and evening that, that, that were the final straw. Yeah, yeah that's right. And in an odd way, it's a bit like what happened with Boris Johnson. And, and Chris Pincher and, and the allegations against him, that a metaphor I've used before, but I think it's appropriate, and it applies both to Boris Johnson and out of his trust, they both suffered metal fatigue. And the point about metal fatigue, say on an aircraft wing, is you know at some point it's going to drop off. What you can't work out, or you can't tell, is exactly what the precipitating moment and the timing of that event will be. And in Boris Johnson, after months of other things, it was Chris Pincher and in his trust, it was Suella Breverman and, and chaos in, in the lobby and the party sort of clearly disintegrating over a few hours. So where are we now? We, we know that uh, she's off. She's, she, the, the initial announcement was that uh, it would be a week. But I think, unless either of you are more up to date than me, we're, we're now looking at a new prime minister by October the 31st, which is, of course, the date of the next budget. And we know, I think, that the 1922 committee is shortly going to announce the rules of this contest. Um, Naomi, <laughs> I'm thinking how to frame this question, but, but I mean, this, this is going to be the shortest contest in, in history. It, it looks as though it is going to involve the Tory party members. And the field 
looks a fairly crowded one. Um, I, I mean, Boris Johnson has said that he needs to stand in the public interest. Um, uh, Suella Braverman has let it known that she might. Kim Badenoch has let it known that she might. We're bound to have Rishi Sunak. We're probably going to get Petty Maud, Petty Mordant. We might get Ben Wallace. There may be others. How do we stop this next bit being as chaotic as the last two weeks? Well, a name that's just come through while we've been recording, as well as Brandon Lewis, potentially running right. as well. So as if the crowded field is getting ever more crowded. The It's not a coronation, is the point. No, well, it? It, although it won't necessarily go to the members if they can whittle it down amongst themselves. So as you say, we, we haven't had the official process yet, but they've likely agreed what is going to broadly happen, which is increasing the threshold. So that the number of MPs a candidate needs supporting them to weed out the minnows. So if you remember last time, it was 20 so, you know, famously people like Roman Shishti didn't didn't make uh, uh, the, the cut. It's probably more likely to be 50 plus MPs this time round. They'll do the voting among MPs, eliminating those of the fewest votes and allowing their voters to choose among the remaining candidates and have mooted that the final two go down to an electronic vote of the members. Now, of course, the danger is that the membership picked Truss, who was not supported by a majority of the MPs, so just didn't have authority among them. And then, of course, uh, unwisely did not uh, bring any Sunak supporters into her top team. But excluding the membership completely would require a rule change to the Tory party constitution unless there is only one candidate left standing. So we could see an quote-unquote agreement among the last two that the one with the most MP votes wins and, and the other withdraws at that point, uh, as happened with Andrew Ledson and Theresa May. Peter, let's let's deal with Boris Johnson first. Uh, is this a remote possibility, a, a probability? I mean, it would it would have been laughable uh, <laughs> two months ago, but but uh, as Naomi says, six hours is a very short time <laughs> in politics now. It, it's very possible. Uh, I agree with Naomi that what many Tory MPs will be hoping is that when he gets to the last two, the one who comes second will then pull out. And so contests will be all over without effectively the members having a say. But if Boris Johnson is that second person, can you see him having come back to re-enter the race? He'd fancy his chances. At that stage. And the YouGov poll a few days ago, Conservative Party members, showed Boris narrowly the most liked of all the various names they tested. But crucially, the way you have asked it is, do you think each of the volume will be a very good, fairly good, fairly bad or very bad leader of the Conservative Party? Well, the people who said either very or fairly good, Boris Johnson was on 63%, Ben Wallace 62, Rishi Sunak 60, others quite a long way behind. But when you concentrate on people who say very good, they're real enthusiasts. Boris Johnson 42, Ben Wallace 32, Rishi Sunak 29. In other words, Boris Johnson has a really substantial body of enthusiastic Tory party members. And frankly, if he is in the last two and doesn't drop out and it goes to a member's ballot, Boris Johnson will win. But he does also have the Privileges Committee inquiry into Partygate hanging over his head like a sword of Damocles. That should start at the beginning of November. So there's talk of it sitting four hours a day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for three weeks, because, to quote them, there are so many witnesses who want to come forward. And that will 
make any of the MPs thinking about backing Johnson think twice, because the committee could otherwise recommend that he is suspended or expelled as an MP. Um, and though, yes, that would go to a vote in the Commons, but it's hardly the stable government that they know they need to be seen to be delivering. And I just don't think they're going to want to find themselves embroiled in exactly the same arguments about his probity from which they thought they had escaped um, <laughs> months ago if, if Johnson was reinstated. He'd be in at the beginning of November and out by the end of November. He could, And we could have a, an, another Prime Minister by December. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, that, that, that's right. We're, we're into completely unknown territory. And I'm sure there will be huge efforts amongst Tory MPs to make sure he's not in the last two. Now, maybe if they, if it's suggested, they, they say you, have, you need at least 50 supporters to get onto the ballot paper within among MPs, they can so arrange it. There are enough people on the ballot paper that Boris Johnson doesn't get to 50, in which case he falls by the wayside. But given that he needs the support of only a third, or as Liz Trust shows, normally not quite a third, around, say, 30%, is that what you need to be one of the last two. And so, um, you know, can we make sure that more than 70% of Tory MPs actively vote against Boris Johnson. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe they can, maybe they will. Maybe he'll be, you know, blocked at the first well, stage. They, are, they have got some, they've got precedent as, as a parliamentary... So the Conservatives, we know, are, are, are ruthless at this kind of stuff. I don't know that many of them are still around today in the Commons, but both of you will remember better than I. But wasn't it the case that you had all sorts of shenanigans happening back in the 90s, early noughties, and you had some of, I think, was it Ian Duncan Smith's support going to Ken Clark to keep Portillo off? You know, you had Eurosceptics helping out a, a Europhile. So it, it isn't beyond them to engineer this if they want to. I just don't know if the current crop of Conservative MPs have quite got that heritage. No, that's right. I mean, what happened in, in 2001 was that the top three, uh, Kenneth Clark, Ian Duncan Smith and Michael Portillo, were all in two or three votes of each other. And Michael Portillo failed by only one vote to be one of the last two. And he himself has told me that he did not vote for himself in the final round. What he said was, and his reason was he wanted to change the Tory party a lot and he felt that he might win it but on such a narrow basis and they didn't feel he'd have a sufficient mandate and once he realised or once he thought he wouldn't have a big enough mandate he didn't want to be leader so he just about managed to move himself so that he was knocked out Okay, Naomi, gun to your head who do you think is going to be our Prime Minister on by October the 31st? Oh, Rishi Sunak Peter? Alan, I honestly have no idea. There's a gun, there's a gun, there's a gun. It's quick fire around, Peter. There's a gun, there's a gun to your head. You you have to, you have to, you have to. I mean, possibly at this stage, I think I'd maybe prefer oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) The sweet release of death. I mean, mean, if, if, if Ben Wallace decides after all he'd like to have a crack at it, I think he might have enough support, both amongst MPs and members, to get there. And the question is, is he interested? Um, um, I mean, he ruled himself out last time, and you'd have to ask why he'd put himself forward this time, considering the chalice is overflowing with poison now. 
But my understanding, let me put this delicately, and I may be wrong, is there are certain issues connected with his private life which have been resolved to a point where it is no longer a barrier. But I'm not sure, and I don't want to malign him or anything like that. Um, I th if, it, if they can keep Johnson out, then I, yeah, I think probably Rishi Sunak. Although whether how united the Tory party would be with a Sunak leadership, who knows? I think you know Sunak obviously is probably perceived by many in the party to have called it right on the economics, but obviously was rejected by members and stabbed Johnson in the back and has that hanging over him. More than you know, good performer. They roll the dice on another unproven right winger. There may also be some misogyny there after Truss's performance and the fact she's a woman. Badenoch, again, from the, the kind of the, the, the right of the party who have broadly been you know, discredited economically now. So it is, it's really hard to see. But, you know, when people say, but who's the candidate that could unite them? I, I don't think this is a party that can be. The, the party that can't be united. Yeah, sorry, I don't think it is yeah. a party that can yeah. be united. Yeah. So, so whoever, whoever presumably, and, and we're in uncharted territory again, whoever becomes prime minister has to keep Jeremy Hunt as chancellor. Do we agree yes. with that? And, and incidentally, you know, we are expecting this mini budget to this fiscal event, Monday, 10 days from now, the 31st of October. Well, if you've got a new prime minister by then, won't the new prime minister say, hang on a minute, I'm not sure... This is how I want things to be. Won't the new prime minister want to put this back another week or two? But then, how would the financial markets react? We're in a, again a lot of moving parts around policy, as as well as people. I wonder how much money I'd put on the October thirty first fiscal event going ahead on time. And and thirty first of October is still some time away, and it isn't, but it sort of is in the world of politics now. Sterling rose on the news of. Truss's resignation, but most sort of, you know, city trade voices saying we need stability really quickly now. It's very, very hard to see how this government can get away with delaying the installation of a new prime minister and yes. a fiscal event or budget or whatever it is they're calling it these days. I think the more I think about it, the more it is either Sunak or Johnson. And Johnson will be in many ways a disruptive person. He would certainly not be wanting Jeremy Hunt, his old antagonist, to be sacked from the cabinet when Johnson became prime minister, uh, what, three years ago. Um, I'm sure Johnson would say, hang on a minute, you know, I, I want to approve Roger. If it's Sunak, I think it'd be very easy because Hunt is now uh, executing Sunak's policies. So Sunak, in that sense, would be the continuity candidate, continuity as of the last six days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Johnson will be the disruptive candidate. Um, and I, I, I would hope, personally, that there are enough Tory MPs to realise that Johnson, for all sorts of reasons, including the Privileges uh, Inquiry, um, that Boris would be a, a disaster to bring back. But I don't know that they have the, um, enough of them have the ability, determination and, and capacity to keep Johnson out. So you're saying if Johnson came in, the first thing he might do is to sack Hunt and, and delay the budget, which which would be, you imagine, uh, not well received by the markets. Um, exactly. And I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, we'd be stepping into an unknown and, and, and Johnson would be you know, facing these competing pressures. Sunak, it's a lot simpler. If you were Keir Starmer this evening, Peter, who would you 
fancy most in the next general election, assuming whoever's going to be elected, appointed, is, is going to be the Prime Minister at the next? Good question. I, I'm pretty sure he was hoping that trusts would, would, would hang on because trusts is such damaged goods, but she's, she's going. It's worth remembering that by the end, Boris Johnson was pretty unpopular with the public. Not quite as unpopular as Liz Truss has now become, but the public had turned against him. I think Johnson, I think Keir Starmer would prefer to face Johnson. I think he's an easier, easier target. Rishi Sunak's one big downside with the, potentially with the public, is, is a very rich man who's married to a billionaires the right person to empathise with people struggling to get by, with mortgage rates going up, energy bills going up, food prices going up. And you know, so Sunak is, is not without his problems. But I think Sunak, you know, I think Boris Johnson will be easier to beat. I think he's more vulnerable to Labour attacks than Sunak would be. So, Naomi, they're not necessarily breaking out the champagne tonight in the Labour Party headquarters. They're, they don't have a headquarters a, at the moment, bless a them. A pause for thought. Well, <laughs> they probably don't <laughs> drink champagne, the but they can't afford <laughs> champagne now. But Yeah, no, I don't think so. And, um, and, and, and that's right. That, no. you know, As we talked about on the podcast earlier in the week, Starmer's own favourability ratings aren't where Blair's were. There are significant numbers of don't knows showing in these um, poll leads for them. Um, and you know, anything can happen. So um, I don't think they'll be uh, thinking that they're home and dry, regardless of who the successor is. And I would agree completely with with Peter that he would be better off facing Johnson than Sunak at the ballot box. It's, it's not just, you know, us number crunchers looking at this. I don't insult name it by calling her a number cruncher, but we, we, we people who look at this closely and professionally for a living, in that it seems to me that I think Keir Starmer will be Prime Minister after the next election, uh, whatever happens. The question is, will, he, will there be enough Labour MPs for Labour to govern for a full parliament with a clear majority? Or will there be some kind of minority government that would be living from month to month, hand to mouth, and the likelihood of a second general election within a year or two? Because whoever's in government after the next election, we know there are very, very big economic and social challenges which are not going to be resolved completely in the next few months. And for a progressive party coming to power with ambitious plans mm -hmm. for welfare, for public services, for social care, for investing in on climate change and so on, and therefore needing, frankly, to put up taxes quite a lot to pay for this programme, if you're in office for the short term, you're going to be very cautious. You're not going to take the big decisions. And it, it might be a rather uninspiring government that might then fall. If you've got five yes. years, then you can be much older in the first year on all these things on the grounds that it doesn't matter if you're unpopular for a year or two, if you've then got a good three or four years to hopefully demonstrate the impact and the success of these policies. So it's not just about polling numbers or Tory MPs numbers. It's about what... British politics is going to look like for the second half of the 2020s. That is still up in the air, it seems to me. And, and Peter, let's not forget that uh, without a stonking majority in the Commons, they do have to get things through the Lords. Now, the Lords is about to swell 
not only with Boris Johnson's resignation on his list, which we have not yet seen, but now also <laughs> Liz Truss's. <laughs> oh, my God. A final question for both of you. I mean, every progressive I imagine in the country is thinking, oh, for heaven's sake, just we need an election now. Naomi, I'm right in thinking there is no mechanism for forcing an election, is there? Not an obvious one, no. Um, if there's a finance bill that falls, something you know could, could help precipitate it. But yes, after the repeal of the Fixed Term Parliament Act, it will be in the gift of the new Prime Minister to go to the King to call it. But to say that, that there is not appetite out there for a general election, if the new Prime Minister takes to the podium next week and says... I believe that I'm going to lead us into a general election in 2024 because the last thing the country needs right now is a general election. We need stability at this period of chaos and financial upset in Ukraine and blah, 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 blah. blah. It will fall on such deaf ears. That will be so tone deaf. The strength of feeling out there at the moment for a general election is higher than I've seen it for very, very, very If a million people took to the streets, I may, I may organise something. So in breaking news, we've just heard that, that Sir, Sir, Sir Graham Brady has come out and announced. Naomi, just catch up with what Sir Graham has told us about how he's going to run this contest. So the threshold to get on the ballot paper will actually be 100 MPs, so quite significantly more than okay, we've seen 50, previously. Right. Nominations opening and closing on Monday, which people are saying will, of course, whittle the field down significantly and rapidly. Arithmetically, it means only three candidates at most and get over the threshold, so we have 350 Tory MPs. So we will know immediately who the last last two are. There will, there will, only, be, there will only be one round of, 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 conserv of, of Conservative nominations. There won't even be a vote of the nominations. So, um, you know, it might be three, in which case we'll know who the top two are, and then it's a question of whether the one who's second drops out. Um, there might be only two, in case it's uh, even simpler. It might be only one. Conceivably, if enough people are seeking nominations, nobody will reach 100, although I think that's improbable. But what it means is there will be only one MP event, which is the nominations process. After that, it will move either straight to a result if the second candidate pulls out, or it will go straight to the top two going to party members. Gosh, well, that's the that's the state of play at 5.37 on Thursday, 20th of October. Let's hope we don't have to call you back for another emergency edition tomorrow. But um, that's the best we can do. You have to stop somewhere and we will watch the unfolding drama over the next few days. But thank you so much, Naomi. And thank you, Peter, for coming back today to address the nation in these turbulent times. <laughs>